All right, if you will, turn with me to Philippians chapter 4 in your New Testament, Galatians, Ephesians, then Philippians, finally Colossians. So um, isn't it amazing how adaptable uh, people can be as as, as human human beings? We really can do things differently and still adapt, and and, uh, I don't know, sometimes we forget how adaptable we actually are and resilient we are, but uh, but when, when when the rubber meets the road, God has given you and me a tremendous ability to bend and to be flexible. We just forget it sometimes. So, Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Philippians 4. Um, I know that we've been hearing a lot about a virus this last week, um, but I want to talk to you about a different virus, not the one we've been hearing about, um, but a virus that's been on full display the past few days, weeks, The virus I want to talk to you about today is extremely contagious. It passes from one person to the next and one group of people to the next. It even passes when you don't even have physical contact with another person. Um, It can be called a pandemic because it's so widespread. This virus is resilient against known treatments. And just when we think we have a handle on it, it morphs and becomes more difficult to treat. And even with this virus, dust masks and toilet paper are defenseless. Um... Um, I joke when I'm nervous, so um, the virus is responsible for social and economic upheaval, disruption, and it weakens our immune system to the point that we catch other viruses. And over the past week, we've seen the virus multiply and spread in our society, but the reality is this virus I'm talking about today has been fretting for far longer than we realize, and many of us in this room are carriers of this virus. And the name of the virus is anxiety, fear, worry, whatever label you put on it. There's a couple of different ways we can speak about anxiety. And so today I'm not talking about necessarily a a diagnosable disorder that that you may have. There's people in this room and listening online that that, that legitimately have an anxiety disorder. Um, But I'm talking today about this free-floating cloud of anxiety that hangs over our entire culture. Um, and that, um, that affects us all in ways that we may or may not be aware of. Um, we all at times and in seasons struggle with like a personal, a personal struggle with anxiety. Uh, but there's also this social anxiety that kind of is, 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 it's viral in the worst sense of the word, how, how much it spreads and how quickly it spreads. And it shapes so much of our thinking and doing it. And so anxiety was intended uh, to be like a check engine light, except anxiety's been long before there were engines, but bear with me. It's like a check engine light, and when that check engine light in your car comes on, you have a choice. You either just keep on driving and pretend, and, and pretend you didn't see it, and run the risk of maybe one day something blowing up in, in a major way and you're stuck on the side of the road somewhere, or you pull over into a, into a mechanic shop and you say, check out what's going on, this check engine light um, came on, I need to know what's happening under the hood. And anxiety, when we have that rush of anxiety, it's an opportunity and it's a warning like the check engine light to say, hey, this is a good opportunity to see what's going on under the hood. Um, if you keep ignoring it, there might be a blow up. And so like legitimate anxiety would be, I've heard it framed this way, legitimate healthy anxiety would be if a man showed up in your living room with a mask and a hatchet. Do you think that's a legitimate opportunity to be anxious? Yes, but unhealthy anxiety is, those of you thinking, 
what if a man showed up in my house with a hatchet and a mess? Like, like the, the, the unhealthy side of anxiety is all of the what ifs. It serves a purpose. If a dude comes in like with a mask and a hatchet, anxiety is this natural, re- this natural reaction that kicks in. You're either going to fight or you're going to run away. That fight-flight reaction. But where it becomes unhealthy is when we live day-to-day, all day, every day, in that fight fly, freeze, reactive way of thinking. And we can all fall into this. And as a society, we've become, would you say, kind of reactive, extremely reactive? Um, and so the, 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 the point of this message isn't we, we don't want to shame each other's anxiety because all of our anxiety manifests in different kinds of ways, but we want to be aware of it. We can't live in a state of constant reactivity. Our, our, our relationships can't sustain it. Even our physical health can't sustain it. And thankfully, because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have an alternative to it. We can live in a different way. You know, anxiety doesn't care if you're a Republican or a Democrat. Anxiety doesn't care if you watch Fox News or CNN. Anxiety doesn't care if you're, if, you're, uh, if you're a Christian or you're an atheist. It doesn't care if you're black, white, tall, or short, rich, or poor. Anxiety... Um, is something that all of us deal with. You know, if you've ever done any gardening, you know that, that and, and somebody, I was just talking to Cody Muncy about it just a minute ago, and uh, that biggest struggle with gardening is like, or one of the biggest struggles, you get this little garden spot tilled up, you get you some plants, you, you, you've got uh, some plants uh, growing, and maybe you, you're watering and stuff, but you don't get out there and weed as often as you need to, and before you know it, that thing is covered in weeds. Have you ever... Had this, and it's like, and once those weeds get away, once they head out and spread, it is such a battle, and they're choking the life out of your garden, and it's just this uphill battle to weed it. And we live in a culture that's literally choking on anxiety. And, and, and the weeds have headed out and spread, and each of us individually, and, and even systems like churches and schools and communities, we're not immune to it. So there's this systemic nature of anxiety that we need to be aware of. And I want to read uh, Paul uh, writing in an anxious time. You know, we talk about these anxious times we live in, but the reality is all of human history has had its own anxiety. Um, Paul is writing in Philippians, again, he's writing from prison. Anybody think that would be an anxious time for you if you were in prison and you didn't know if you were going to live or die? And he's writing to these Philippians. And let's begin uh, chapter 4 of Philippians, verse 2. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. We're going to come back to this, but notice how he just calls these two ladies out, not just in front of the whole Philippian church, but in front of 2,000 years of church history. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together, with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names were in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice, and really a better translation would be celebrate celebrate in the Lord, richly celebrate in the Lord. Again, I'll say, celebrate. Let your reasonableness or your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Um, 
So we want to talk today about how can we cultivate these weeds of anxiety? How can we cultivate healthy soil? Um, and and from, or from Philippians 4, we can see that we can cultivate healthy soil in anxious times as we practice rejoicing, giving thanks, and pray. As we rejoice, give thanks, and pray, what can happen is we, we cultivate healthy soil. It chokes out the weeds of anxiety in our lives. Um, now, there's always going to be these moments where we have that rush of anxiety. But, is, but anxiety does not have to rule our lives. Anxiety does not have to run our lives. And so, um, so this coronavirus response is kind of a good laboratory to study anxiety. Um, and what we can glean is that anxious responses look different. Hey, Don. Anxious responses look different. Um, but but they, there can be all these various kinds of responses, but they're all fueled by, by anxiety. So maybe the lady that's buying toilet, all the toilet paper at the store, that's an anxious response. But maybe all the jokes the rest of us we make about the lady buying all the toilet paper at, at, is also an anxious response. Um, there's the bunker syndrome. I'm going to hunker down in my living room and I'm anxious. And then there's the denial syndrome, which is also anxiety-driven. I don't care if I got a 104-degree fever. I'm going to go cough on everybody. You know, there's all these different reactions. There's the, the denial, like this, this, is, this, doesn't even, this isn't even a thing. There's a conspiracy theorist, you know. I mean, uh, this, this Democratic or this Republican Party has, you know, has planted this thing or it's a conspiracy. There's the shamer that's just like, oh, how dare you be anxious and worried? We're Christians. We're not supposed to ever. You know, there's all these different responses and they're all anxiety responses. Those are all anxious ways of responding to a crisis. And we have all these ways of trying to comfort each other and ourselves in a crisis. Like I see on Facebook people saying, relax, everybody. Way more people die of the flu. And I'm like, oh, cool. Wait, I don't want to die of that. You know, I mean, like, that's an odd way to try to comfort each other, right? And so... Even the ways we try to, in our flesh and in our own strength, comfort our anxiety, they, they fall short. And Christians are called, in this crisis, whatever next year's crisis is, whatever the crisis six months from now is, ten years from now is, Christians are called to present an alternative to hysteria. But that doesn't mean we just pretend nothing's happening. It doesn't mean we say, well, I'm not going to wash my hands. No. Uh, it's not denial. It's not detachment. It's... You know, it, it, denial and detachment are counterfeits to peace. They're not the real thing. We're called to make wise choices. We're called to trust God and to balance safety and living life. And so, um, so as we think about anxiety, there's all kinds of different triggers that can trigger our anxiety. You know, stuff like, like loss, loss of a loved one. How am I going to make it from here? Change. That's something my family and I is walking through right now. In this church family, we're walking through some change. And, and change and transition can trigger a lot of anxiety. Um, you know, th those can be activators of, of, of anxiety. Uh, finances. Um, you know, as we look at the economic situation, we can become flooded with anxiety. Misinformation triggers anxiety. All the daily cares, conflict triggers anxiety. You know, Paul begins this section in Philippians 4 talking about a church conflict. And there's these two women that have disagreed with each other. Shocking, I know, but uh, sorry. These two women have disagreed with each other, and it's become a church conflict situation. And Paul just calls it out, not just in front of that church, but like 2,000 years. Have you ever met somebody named Euodia or Syntyche? 
Those names I got ruined for 2,000 years because nobody wants to name their kid that. I mean, Paul just straight up calls it out because he cares about them and he cares about the church. That, 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 that conflict creates anxiety. There's all kinds of things that, 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 that create uh, triggers for anxiety. But, but there's a book that came out a couple years ago, by, not from a Christian perspective, by Johan Hari, um, and it's called Lost Connections. And through all this research, he discovered that underlying the root cause of all these different types of depression and anxiety is a sense of disconnection. Now keep in mind, this is someone not writing from a Christian perspective. But he's, he's, he, he researched all over the world and found these common denominators of we become a people who are disconnected from meaningful work, disconnected from the natural world, disconnected from, uh, from values, disconnected from community. We've become disconnected from our own childhood traumas, and we've become disconnected from hope. And all of that disconnection has resulted in a tremendous amount of anxiety and a tremendous amount of depression and a tremendous amount of hopelessness. And, and, and what Johan doesn't know yet is that the gospel of Jesus Christ addresses all of these things. It doesn't mean it's easy. It doesn't mean, poof, I don't have any anxiety or depression anymore. I'm, I'm walking, talking proof. That that's not what it means. But it means we have resources beyond ourselves that we can draw on. Some of the results of anxiety um, can be that we have disproportionate reactions. Have you ever seen this happen? Um, and not just like laughing at people on Facebook doing it, but have you seen this in yourself? I know I have. I know I'm ashamed of times that that um, I've had an anger response or a frustration response or a fear response that was disproportionate to what was actually going on. I do it, you do it. And that's kind of what anxiety does. It, it, that, that it, when we start living in that fight, flight, freeze thing, we can begin responding and overreacting in ways that are not proportionate. We start reacting versus responding. Um, and we get to be the people and we're called to be the people, not that do this perfectly, but we're called to be people who model something different. And because we know Jesus, we can respond rather than walking through life reacting all the time. All right? And so Paul concludes this joyful letter. Getting back to the text, Philippians 4, Paul concludes this joyful letter, um, again, first by addressing church conflict. And he, he addresses that head on. All right, um, and he just says, hey, there's this conflict going on between, between Yodia and Syntyche. You, you two believe in the Lord, you're ministers, you're Christians. And he calls in a third party to mediate for them. And probably the whole congregation's got some anxiety over this because like if two people don't agree and are, and are frustrated with each other, you know, everybody else starts walking on eggshells. And I love the way Paul just says, hey, get it done, take care of it. Agree in the Lord is what he says. And then he moves from that into celebration. He says, rejoice in the Lord, always celebrate. Always, again, I will say, celebrate. Now it'd be easy for us to say, man, Paul didn't have my life. Paul didn't have my life, he wouldn't tell me to celebrate. Well, yeah, Paul, he's writing this from prison. And he's like, celebrate. Not celebrate our circumstances, but we can celebrate in whatever circumstance we have. And rejoicing, celebrating is one of those core practices that roots out anxiety in our lives. 
um, as we celebrate, as we practice this, as we're disciplined in this, it begins to crowd out anxiety. It begins to choke out that weed of anxiety. Um, And so I ask you to think about, um, and again, celebrating isn't denying our circumstances. But not to celebrate will be denying God's goodness. That's, that's something, when I celebrate God in the midst of truck, whether it's conflict, sickness, loss, change, whatever, when I celebrate God, I'm not denying that this, that this, uh, that this circumstance is real. But if I choose not to celebrate God, I'm denying how good God is. I'm denying how worthy of celebrating God is. And so one of these core practices that we have is we can celebrate God in whatever circumstance we're in. And I just ask you to consider, how can you, how can you practice this today? What's one way you, just think about it in your head, what's one way you can celebrate today how good God is. Maybe that's you get in your car and you turn up some, some, uh, some good music and you just, you just praise God at the top of your lungs all the way home. You know, uh, maybe that's if, if you're if you're at home watching on on uh, our live stream, which we got uh, we've got the highest number of viewers we've ever had on our live stream, and so uh, God works all things together for good, right? And so, welcome. Maybe you're just at your keyboard and you're just like, man, I just want to say out loud, God, I praise you. You are worthy because, guys, as we do that, stuff in us begins to change. It doesn't solve all our external problems, but it does something in our heart. He says, let your reasonableness and your gentleness be known to all. And, and I, I got to go back to Yodia and Syntyche, who he just called out for their church conflict. And, and if I was them, and the whole church just heard my business, I would think, Paul, you're not very gentle. You just called me out in front of everybody. But Paul doesn't see a conundrum here. He sees him addressing their, 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 their conflict with each other as, as being loving. They, they, they maybe, they thought, man, why you got to put our business out there for 2,000 years of Christians to see and read about? And yet Paul in the next breath turns around and says, let your gentleness be made known to all. Gentleness doesn't mean we walk around on eggshells around each other. Gentleness means that when we come at one another, we really come alongside one another. And we do so in a spirit of, I want to see restoration here. Paul is inviting Euodia and Syntyche to repent and believe. And he's doing so maybe more forcefully than you or I would do it. But he's inviting them to repent and believe. And in anxious times, whether it's coronavirus or Y2K or whatever the next thing's going to be, anxious times always present an opportunity for us to repent and believe. To think, what does it look like to trust Jesus with my life today. Rejoice in the Lord always. How can we practice that? Let your gentleness, your reasonableness be made known to all. And then Paul says this most important phrase, the Lord is at hand. And when Paul says the Lord is at hand, he's saying a couple of different things. One, he's saying, man, the the day the Lord's going to return is closer today than it was yesterday, right? But the other thing is, the Lord isn't far away and distant. The Lord is near. The Lord is with you. And that is the most common biblical comfort that we're given. The Lord is with you. So on the one hand, he's coming, he's returning to set all things right. But on the other hand, he is with you 
right. Now, I've got a little, since our life group walked through Max Licato's Anxious for Nothing, which is a great study, uh, I set a, an 8 o'clock a.m. reminder on my phone every single day that says, that comes up and says, the Lord is near. And that's just one way that, I remind, that I'm reminded daily that God is near. And, 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 and two things that does. One, does that maybe help keep us think twice before we do something dumb? Yeah, <laughs> Maybe. But on the other hand, it's, and more importantly, it's this tremendous comfort to know that God's not far away, but he is near. And this is the whole ground that Paul uses here to say that we can have peace, we can celebrate, we can rejoice, we can have peace because God is near. He's not far away. Verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, with gratitude, let your requests be made known to God. Paul's saying the alternative to worry is to pray. Now, pray and wash your hands, okay? And say, oh, I prayed, so I guess I don't have to wash my hands. No, pray and wash your hands. Yeah. Sure, we need to wash our hands, bud, for sure. Take our vitamin C, do all those things, okay? Um, but pray, and, 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 and prayer is this alternative to worry. And he says pray with thanksgiving. Pray with a sense of gratitude. And, and, and he's already told us one thing that we can be grateful for here. Thankful, thank, thank you, God, that you're near. Thank you that, that I don't have to walk on my hands and knees up a thousand steps to get to you, but I can just, like I can be driving down the highway and I can talk to you, the creator of the universe. I can be laying in bed and I can talk to the creator of the universe. Like, praise God for that. Celebrate that. And then, so he gives this alternative to worry. Pray with thanksgiving, then verse, verse 7 and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, peace, according to Paul here, is not just the absence of anxiety. It's not like, okay, anxiety's gone, so now I feel peace. It's not just the absence of something. Peace is this tangible, divine substance that can actually fill your life and fill that void left by anxiety, and actually push that anxiety out. Peace isn't just an absence, it is a presence. And I love Proverbs 4, where Proverbs 4 tells us, guard your heart, for from it flow the waters of life. Humanity failed to do that. I have failed to do that. And so here Paul is telling us that God will do for you what you cannot do yourself. He says, we fail to guard our own hearts. He says, but if you... We'll, we'll, we'll practice prayer and with thanksgiving and rejoicing. The peace of God will do for you what you can't do for yourself. God's peace will stand guard around your heart. Do you think about that image? Your heart can be surrounded and guarded like Fort Knox. Your heart that is so precious to God can be guarded and protected by this tangible peace of God. The peace of God isn't just the absence of bad feelings. It's the presence of the supernatural force. And Paul's talking about the peace between you and Jesus. He's also talking about the peace in the body. That we can be right with God because of the gospel, but we can be right with one another because of the gospel. And the peace of God is what guards this 
vertical relationship, and the peace of God guards this horizontal relationship with one another. And then look at what Paul says next, and we're going to wrap up soon. Finally, brothers, whatever's true, don't be sharing fake news, guys, okay? Whatever's true, whatever's honorable, just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. I know we, we know this, but how many of us are practicing this, guys? I can, I can know that hand sanitizer is better for my hands than manure, but it's what I actually do that matters. We can know all day long that thinking about what's good is good and thinking about what's evil is evil, but what are we actually doing? He says, if you'll think on what's good and true, and that includes the gospel, that includes God's word, but that also includes just what's true and good and beautiful anywhere in creation because God owns everything that's true and good and beautiful and noble and right. He says, intentionally think about goodness. And this isn't head in the sand, this isn't denial. It's I see God at work, even in the midst of real crises. And then Paul says this really amazing thing. And he's giving you a glimpse at where you're headed if you stick with Jesus. He says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. I want you to ask yourself, can you say with Paul, follow my example? Can you say with Paul, whatever you've seen me do and practice, the way you've seen me live, the way you've seen me honor Christ, the way you've seen me follow Christ, I want you to replicate that in your life. Guys, this is where Jesus is wanting to take all of us. If you're a disciple, if you're a follower of Jesus, he wants us to be able to say, by the grace of God, by the power of the Spirit, not that we're perfect and we get everything right, even Paul doesn't, didn't. But he wants us to be able to say with Paul, follow the pattern of my life. You can look at my, and we're not just talking about the preacher. See, this is why, um, uh, this is, so, so one of my daughters asked me, why do people always say bad stuff about preacher's kids? And I said, well, you know, because sometimes these kids see, kind of go wild, and sometimes they see their dad living one way, you know, at church and another went home and Alma said, I can see that with you. I was like, really? She's like, you're always farting at, at home, but you're so serious at church. <laughs> Guilty. Um, but I was thankful that that's what she came up with, honestly, because I was scared for a minute. But sometimes we have an expectation and we, sometimes we have an expectation for other believers and we put other believers on a pedestal, but that's not an expectation we want to walk out for ourselves. And it creates anxiety and it creates a double standard, right? And, and God's goal for us isn't just that you can point to the preacher or the deacon and say, what a failure, or hey, that's our example, but so that all of us in this body can say to another believer, Follow my, follow my example as I follow Christ. Follow me 
as I follow Jesus. What you've seen and heard, the example you've seen in me, replicate this and you will grow in Christ. And and folks, if you've never heard anything else that I've said in six years, please, God wants you to be able to say to another believer, follow my example. Follow my example. And you'll grow. That's the goal for every follower. Practice what you've seen and heard in me. And then he says, and the God of peace will be with you. He talked about the peace of God, and now he talks about the God of peace. We can rejoice, we can, make, we can pray with thanksgiving, we can have peace, because the God of peace gives us the peace of God. Whether we got corona or whatever, whatever's next. I forgot all the other diseases' names for a second, but... We can have the peace of God because the God of peace is with us. So to to close, no amount of striving for peace. No amount of saying to your, no amount of shaming yourself. I know I shouldn't be anxious, but I am. No amount of that is ever going to generate godly peace because we're frail. Guys, we are going to struggle with anxiety. I'm going to walk out of this door and and, and, and within a few minutes, I'm going to think about how how am I going to make it six months from now? We all are going to struggle with anxiety. The question is, Is anxiety going to rule your life or not? And we're frail and we're fragile. And in Lent, this Lenten season, it's a time we think about how frail we are. And that I can't just power through anxiety. I need the God of peace to give me the peace of God. And Paul told us here that we can cultivate that as we rejoice, give thanks, and pray. Be reminded today that if you know Jesus you're walking with the God of peace. As the band comes up, I want to ask you if you have peace with God. If you know, I'm not talking about you had an encounter with a preacher or you had an encounter with a church. Have you had an encounter with the real and living Son of God? And has that encounter led into a relationship can you say today that Jesus is the king of your heart, the king of your world, the king of your life? Can you say today that you're growing towards becoming a person that says with Paul, follow my example, and I'm going to lead you to Jesus? If not, guys, let's take this opportunity of national panic to say, I want, it's time for me to repent and believe. Today, in this moment, I'm repenting of, of the anxiety I've carried. I'm just saying, Jesus, I, I trust you. Believe, help my unbelief, right? So do you know and have the peace of God? Do you have peace with God? If not, come down there this time. We'll talk about how you can come to know Jesus and have peace with God. And then do you have the peace of God? Is your life characterized by peace or is it characterized by striving and spinning your wheels? And what's it look like for you to repent and believe today? And guys, if you're struggling with anxiety, I don't want you to hear this message and hear somebody saying, oh, how dare you? Man, we're living in anxious times. It's it's a dangerous thing to walk out one's front door. But you can know the God of peace. You can know the God of peace today. Let's stand together.